Good morning. I am glad to see you guys. Thank you for being here this morning for week three of Crazy Faith. Now, two years ago, Amber and I were celebrating my birthday in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. It was amazing. Amber said to me one day, so what do you want to do for your special birthday celebration? And I was like, well, we're right here on the Pacific Ocean, so I want to get in a boat and I want to go deep sea fishing, okay? I had these dreams and visions in my head of catching a trophy-sized marlin. I wanted a tuna the size of an SUV, you guys. I just knew that this was going to be the time I caught the big one. And so Amber said, yeah, it's your birthday. If that's what you want to do, let's go for it. So we booked the charter. We headed out first thing in the morning on my birthday. Now, everything was going so well while we were making our way out into the bay. But as soon as we got out of the shallow, calm water and into the deep, choppy water, my wife Amber started to look not so good, okay? Her stomach started feeling queasy. She turned a color that, like, people are not supposed to be. You know, have you ever seen this before? Somebody just, you're like, something's wrong here, okay? And 90 minutes into an eight hour long trip, Amber said, I think I need to go lay down. So she went to the back of the boat. She curled up on a bench and did not move from that spot for what, six and a half more hours. I mean, look, we were 25 miles offshore, but I'm telling you, if my wife could have stepped out of the boat and walked on water back to the hotel, she would have ditched me in a heartbeat. It didn't matter that it was my birthday. She would have pieced out as quick as she possibly could because being on that rough water was not agreeing with her at all. There was one point during the day that I, I looked over at her and you know, I feel so bad, like it's my birthday and I'm the one that caused all of this, you know? So I look over and I'm like, babe, how you doing? She lifted her head and she looked over at me and she said, happy birthday. I hate you. That's literally what she said. It was so good. It's the first time anybody's ever told me I hate you on my birthday. Hey, this morning, I want to continue the conversation about the night that Peter walked on the water with Jesus. And while our word last week was prepare or preparation, thank you. Our word for today is going to be problem. I'm going to test you on that in a moment. So you need to know that our word for today is problem. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a problem. No, don't do that. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Our word for the day is problem, not because of the people that were involved in the story, but more because Peter's moment of crazy faith was full of problems. And some of those problems he was able to overcome. And of course, as we're going to see, some of those problems ended up overcoming him. What we'll discover is that the same problems that Peter was facing the night that he walked on the water, they really are the same kind of problems that you and I face and battle every single day. So if you find yourself right now in the middle of a storm, desperately hoping that God will show up and rescue you, calm the situation that you find yourself in, listen, you need this story. So let me read it for you. We're going to read the entire thing again today. Matthew chapter number 14, beginning in verse 22. This is what the scripture says. Immediately after this, this is after Jesus fed the 5,000, right? We talked about that last week. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills, Jesus did, to pray by himself. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. 
But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you walking on the water. Verse 29, Jesus says, yeah, come on. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now our word for today is? problem. And that's because the disciples are having some problems in this story. Notice in verse 24, the scripture says that the disciples were in trouble and they were far away from land. The wind was raging, the storm was, uh, was blowing, and things were not looking good for the disciples at the start of this story. My friends, crazy faith requires a crazy problem. You know that? Crazy faith requires a crazy problem. Most miracles do not happen in mundane situations. Moments of crazy faith come about when, like the disciples, we find ourselves in a bit of trouble. They happen when you're far from land. They happen when there are strong winds and heavy waves. Crazy faith comes about when there is a very real risk that the boat will sink. Oftentimes we want God to show up in miraculous and magnificent ways, but we don't want the accompanying storm that's gonna come with the miracle. Those two go hand in hand. Now, look, I can't possibly know what every problem in the room is this morning. I mean, everybody's battling something different. But I bet there are somebody, there is somebody here in the room that is struggling with being single again. You with me? Or maybe you're struggling with being single still. You're like, forget that again. I don't even get the again. I'm still still single. I know there's probably somebody here who started a business, and even though it's been going for months or even years, you're still waiting on that bad boy to turn a profit. I know there are people here who have been wounded by their dads or they were let down by their last church. And listen, it's only natural to resent the problems that you're facing, but crazy faith requires crazy problems. The disciples had to go through the storm in order to realize that Jesus was more powerful than the storm. So crazy faith is about recognizing that the storm that you're so afraid of today will be the very thing that God uses to demonstrate his power and his presence in your life. Yes, we want to see crazy faith miracles, but we have to understand they only occur in situations with crazy problems. But of course, the, uh, the storm was not the only problem that the disciples faced that night. I mean, we read how the disciples are rowing furiously through the storm and they're making very little headway. Then Jesus comes walking on the water towards them. And then there's like this initial confusion. They don't know who it is. They think he's a ghost, all that sort of thing. But then, of course, look at what Peter said in verse 28. He says, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now listen, because we know how this story turns out, like Peter seems like a boss in this moment. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, look at the faith, the faith that, that Peter had. I mean, it's just like so impressive that in this moment, he would ask Jesus to allow him to also walk on the water. He seems like the hero of the story. This seems like such an incredible moment when the music score would swell and like in the movie, you know what I'm saying? It's just like everybody would be cheering. Yes, this is awesome. But I want you for just a moment to put yourself in the shoes of the other disciples that were in that boat that night, okay? 
How do you think you and the others would have felt when you were on the verge of sinking and drowning? Do you understand? Like this was a very scary moment for them. So you think we might not make it through this. Like this could be the end of me. I might be fish food. Then Jesus miraculously appears and he comes walking on the water to you. And you're like, oh my God, we're saved. We're saved. We're saved. We're saved. And then your boy Peter is like, hey, Jesus, can I come walk on the water with you? You would have been like, boy, I'll smack you with an oar right now. Okay. <laughs> Like, we don't need one more person out of the boat. We need one very special person in the boat. Are you with me? It's like the answer to this problem that we're facing is for Jesus to get in the boat with us, for Jesus to calm the storm, for Jesus to join us where we're at, to give us what we need. But Peter saw the solution as something different. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter for what he asks for. This is amazing to me. Like, it's just wild that Jesus is not like Peter. Can we deal with this later, please? Look, I'll give you lessons tomorrow. I'll teach you. It's not that hard. You can walk on the water. It's cool. He, he didn't say any, he didn't rebuke him in any way, shape, or form. He's like, okay, okay. You want to do this now? Let's do it right now. Come on out here on the water. Have you ever noticed that God's solution often seems worse than your problem? Okay, now, I, I know I cannot be the only person to have this occur to them at some point. Oftentimes, God's solution seems worse than the problem. And this is hard for us to accept. It's confusing for us to deal with because we believe God is supposed to show up and solve the problem. He's supposed to calm the storm, and he will. But initially, he's going to offer you a solution, and that solution is going to seem even worse than the problem that you're facing. When you're in a storm and you're crying out to God, God, you got to come rescue us. You got to save us. You know what you need him to do. The solution is very simple. God, we need you to get in the boat with us and help us row. Like the, the 12 of us are not able to get to shore, but 12 of us plus Jesus can probably do it. So the answer, the solution that the disciples needed here was Jesus, you get in our boat so we can get to where we want to go. But hear me now, while you want God in your boat, God is calling you to abandon the boat altogether. You think you know the solution. God says, I've got something else actually in store for you. But that thing that he's going to call you to, it's going to seem like the wrong solution. You're going to say, no, 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 God, no. Um, um, I, I don't want to speak out of turn here, okay? But like, I know what needs to happen. If you would just trust me, Lord, which is an oxymoronic <laughs> statement, of course. If you would just, I, I know where we need to go and I know how we need to do this. But of course, God is the one who truly knows. He's the one who's trying to call us towards the actual solution that we need. And so it's important to recognize that, listen, when you're in a moment of crazy faith and you cry out to the Lord and you see him walking towards you, you're going to think, ah, I know how this is going to go. He's about to get in my boat. We're about to get to shore, eat some fish and talk about how amazing that was. Not often. Often, most often even, God is going to call you deeper into the storm. He's going to call you to walk further into the storm, to step out on even deeper water. You're going to say, but God, the solution is clearly that way. 
And he's going to say, God, I know where the solution is, okay, but walk with me here. I'm trying to do something. There is a purpose behind every single storm. So when God arrives, it'll initially feel like he's moving you further away from resolution and safety. Amber and I experienced this ourselves many times, but probably the most obvious example is the first time we ever came to Calgary. You know, we were here on vacation. We didn't know anything about Canada. We'd never been to the country before. We were living our nice little beach lives down in Florida. So we come up here. We're on a ski trip. But while we're here, our heart begins to break for the number of people that are in this city that don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. I mean, it just became very obvious to us that like, there are a lot of wonderful people in this city and most of them don't know how much God loves them and the good plans that he has for every single one of them. So Amber and I are like, man, there's like a spiritual storm up in that city. And boy, I think we can be a part of the solution. You know what we should do? We should get on the plane. We should fly back down to Florida we should rally the troops. You know what I'm saying? Like we got this great church down there. It's full of old people who can't go anywhere, but at least they can give. So let's raise some money. Let's raise some money and we will send that money to Calgary. And, and we will be contributing to starting new churches. That sounds like a pretty good solution. And God's like, actually, what if you guys went up there and started the church yourself? And we're like, no, no, God, I mean, like, they don't need us. We're Americans, we're nobodies. Like, we're happy and comfortable. It's warm, um, you know? It's like, no, that doesn't seem like the right solution, God. The problem is not gonna be solved using that solution. And certainly the problem isn't going to be solved completely, but hey, God called us to step out of the boat. He called us to move in a direction that seemed counterintuitive, counterproductive, confusing, scary. It seemed wrong, frankly, to both of us for a very long time, and yet, I knew for certain God was saying, no, you, you guys got to step out of the boat here. Stepping out of the boat will feel wrong. It'll feel like the wrong direction. It'll feel like things are getting riskier. It'll feel like God is actually putting you in a worse position. Can I tell you something? He is. He is. And that's because oftentimes the only way God can get us to look up is to put us flat on our back. Sometimes... God has to bring us to extreme moments to get our attention. Now, look, I'm very aware of the fact that there are some of you that are in the room and like the, the idea of moving to a foreign country or, you know, being single again, you're like, that is such a cute little problem y'all have to deal with because like I've got real stuff and I know, I, like I talk to you guys, I know some of the things that you're battling and, and listen, I'm not saying this is the solution or the perspective for absolutely everything, but for the majority of our issues, God's going to show up and he's going to present a path forward that just feels wrong. So then the question becomes, do we trust him? Do we believe that he's able to lead us when his answers are different from our proposed answers? That's really what all of this comes down to. Now, look, you've experienced this for yourself. Many of you have anyway. Like maybe you're, you're in a marriage and it's on the rocks and it's like, okay, I know the solution here. It's pretty obvious by this point. And so you go to God and say, God, here's the solution. Does this sound good to you? And he's like, maybe, but what if you tried to love her just a little bit longer? Well, wait, wait, God, they don't deserve it. They've already proven they don't deserve it. Like, I know safety, landfall is that way, and you're calling me back out into the storm. I'm not trying to do that. And God says, I understand. I know it feels counterintuitive. I know it feels wrong, but would you trust me? Would you follow me? Would you step out of the boat when it feels like stepping out of the boat is the wrong thing to do? I think about salvation. Man, this is so true when it comes to our salvation. It's like um, people, you know, people come to realize, okay, I'm not a perfect person. I know that. I've probably done some wrong. If there's 
there's a God. I've probably broken his commandments. And so um, I think probably the solution here is, metaphorically speaking, to invite God into my boat and then he can help me row in the right direction. You know, before I was going this way, now I realize I need to go this way and the way that I'm going to go this way. Please don't fall, Daniel. I wish I could moonwalk. That would be incredible if I could have done that right now, but I can't. Anyway, so you're thinking to yourself, I know I was going that way and that was the wrong way, so now I need to go this way. And the way I'm going to get that way is to get Jesus in my boat and have him help me. Together, the two of us are going to get me where I need to go. But then God, like he said to Amber and I, is like, actually, what if, you surrendered the oars completely. What if, you, what if you took your hands off the wheel and let me take control of your life? What if you acknowledged not just that you had been rowing in the wrong direction, but that you're a sinner and you're need, in need of repentance? Oh, no, I can't. Come on. No, no, no. The solution seems worse than the problem here. God, I just need you in my boat. We can get this sorted out, but let's get headed in the right direction. Let's get out of the squall. And God is like, listen, please just trust me in this moment. Although the solution seems worse than the problem, it's never actually worse than the problem at all. So what does this teach us? Well, when you start living in crazy faith, you are going to find yourself in the middle of storms. I say this every week. This wasn't even in my notes, but I just feel like I need to keep reiterating this. If you came to Jesus believing that he was going to make life easy for you, you came with the wrong set of expectations. In the same way, if you get married and you think, oh, well, having a partner now is going to make life easier. It's like, eh, that ain't how it works, okay? We, we come with a recognition that Jesus will often send us directly into storms. We talked about that last week. It also brings about this recognition that when I catch a glimpse of God, I'm going to think immediately the solution has arrived. Immediately the end is in sight. But it may be that God is going to extend your time in the storm for a little while longer, but you're not going to go through it alone. He's going to be with you through the rest of that time in the storm. Even if the path forward involves more risk, even if it seems like it's going in the right direction, at least you've got God with you as you move that way. It's going to call you to even more trust. It's going to sound crazy, but hey, that's how God does it. And it's only crazy till it happens. So Peter gets out of the boat, okay? He gets out of the boat and he heads towards Jesus. We're going to spend all of next week talking about Peter, his successes and failures while he's out there walking on the water. I just imagine he was walking like this, you know? A lot of swag when you walk on the water, I'm sure. We're going to talk about that next week. But by the time Jesus and Peter get back into the boat, Jesus has actually pinpointed Peter's real problem. Look at what it says in verse 31. Jesus says this, why did you have so little faith? Why did you doubt me? You know, that last question in particular, it's so helpful. It really clarifies Peter's problem, the big problem that was underlying all the other ones. And by extension, this is the biggest problem that you and I have as well. Jesus doesn't ask him, why did you doubt yourself? Why did you doubt yourself? You were like a fisherman, man. You know what it takes to survive a storm. You know how to hunker down. You know how to find safety. You've been through this before. So why did you doubt yourself, Peter? He didn't ask that. Jesus also didn't say, why'd you doubt your boat? Like, it was such a good boat, man. You had a good plan, everything. If you would have just stayed right where you should have been, everything would have been okay. He never says anything about the boat. He doesn't say, why'd you doubt your team? Like, I surrounded you with other fishermen. I mean, Matthew was thrown up off the back of the boat, but he's a tax collector. We can't really hold that against him. If you would have trusted the team, 
If you would have just leaned into your community, then everything would have been okay. But he doesn't say any of that. What he asks him is, why did you doubt me? What Jesus highlights here is that our biggest problem is not that we don't have enough resources or that we're facing a storm that's bigger than any storm we've ever faced before. He actually says our biggest problem is our doubt that God will deliver us safely through the storm. Deep down, the problem that we're facing, the reason that we're struggling, the thing that we've got to be able to overcome if we want to get through this and learn from it is confidence that there is a purpose in the storm that I can trust God to see me through this. And when I get to the other side, it may not be sunshine and rainbows and butterflies and things like that, but I will come through it safely and I will come through it closer with God. There was a, a, a moment in worship today. This, this is also not in my notes, but there's a moment where we're singing that second song, new song, same God, woo, okay. I, might, I mean, I just might have to come back up and play it again. Okay, the, the song says we're standing on what? Are we standing on our faith? Nope. It says we're standing on his faithfulness. See, I think this is really where Peter got off track here. He had enough faith in himself to get out of the boat, take a few steps on the water, but that only got him so far. Like we said last week, it actually got him deeper into trouble. We don't stand by our faith. We stand because of his faithfulness. It is the faithfulness of Jesus that Peter should have focused on. He got out there in the water, and what does the scripture say? He starts looking back at the disciples in the boat, and he's like, oh no, I've made a mistake. They're safe, and I'm in trouble. He looks down at the waves, and they're crashing all around him, and like fish are swimming by, and they're like, what is this even? And he's like, oh my goodness, I'm in over my head. I, I have overextended myself. I I've taken liberties with God's grace that I never should have. I am not going to get out of this safely. He looks at himself, and he's like, why did I think this is a good idea? This is my fault even. And because he takes his eyes off of Jesus... He becomes overwhelmed by what he sees. So the key here is not like, you just need to grow some faith. Come on now. If you want a crazy faith miracle, then you need to just like get a backbone, gird your loins, son. This is about you and your confidence in God. It's not. It is recognizing God's faithfulness in our storms. That understanding will actually enable us to stand when everybody else is sinking. That's the confidence that will enable us to get out of the boat and do things that people will say are impossible while they're on the sidelines. It's because we are confident in God's presence and his power. We know his promises. We trust in his faithfulness. And that is where we fix our eyes. I love the way Hebrews 12.2 says it. Hebrews 12.2 says, why uh, we do this, we, we follow after Jesus by keeping our eyes on him, the Savior who initiates and perfects our faith. If we apply this verse to Peter's situation, he was walking on the water because of Jesus' invitation. But Jesus is not just the initiator of crazy moments of faith. He is the perfecter of crazy moments of faith. If old Peter had just kept his eyes on Jesus in the middle of the storm, he would not have sunk like a rock. But because he took his eyes off of what really mattered, he began to doubt 
God's faithfulness and goodness, he had to be rescued. He had this moment of victory that turned into a moment of failure simply because he allowed his eyes to be shifted from where they should have been focused. So let me ask you this question. The same question that Jesus posed to Peter. Why do you doubt God? This is not like a hypothetical question. This is not one of those, I don't remember the word in the moment, but like one of those questions that you just ask yourself and I don't actually expect it. Like this is for real. Like why do you, why do I doubt God? Is it because he calls me to do things that are scary? Well, that's okay. He'll empower you to do the things that are scary. Is it because he's asking me to do something I've never done before? Something no one in my family has ever done before? That's okay. Where God calls, he will provide. He will take care of you. Is it because you feel like God has let you down in the past? Maybe he was just calling you deeper into the storm and your deliverance is still to come. It's possible that a year or two from now, what seemed like God's absence is going to, it's going to occur to you that, oh no, he was present with me that entire time. He was just calling me deeper into the storm, further into the sea before we got back into the boat and got to the safety of land. I don't know what it is that might be preventing you from trusting God. I don't know what causes you to doubt him, but the key to getting through your storms in a way that honors him, that preserves your faith, and hey, even brings about crazy faith kind of miracles is a confidence in his presence and his power in your life. So I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that God would just fill you with that kind of trust fill you with that kind of faith, the willingness to obey no matter what it is that he might ask you to do, and then to see God show up powerfully and miraculously in the middle of your storm. God, we're praying your power down today on our church. We're asking that in every single hurdle, battle, and problem that we face, that God, we would be more confident in you than we are worried about our circumstances. May we know that, God, you've already taken away the greatest problem that we ever faced, our sin debt, something that we had no ability to rectify, and yet by your grace and mercy, you completely wiped away our past. You gave us forgiveness and a fresh start in Jesus. Why should we doubt that you'll be with us in the middle of life storms? So God, for those that are struggling, for those that are sinking, for those that are afraid today, I'm praying confidence in the name of Jesus over them that God, they would see you walking towards them and that God, it wouldn't matter if you bring about the end of the storm right in this moment or it's not for several days or weeks in the future, but instead they would see you as the answer. All they need to do is trust and obey. God, may that be true of every single one of us. Thank you for your promises. We're standing on them today, claiming them according to the authority granted to us as sons and daughters of Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.